closing prayer after the main message. It's going to be brought to us by Pastor Horane Smith, pastor from the Toronto and London congregations, as well as uh, uh, Kawartha Lakes. He also looks after our evangelism program. His sermon is entitled, As the Feasts Go By, As the Feasts Go By, by Pastor Horane Smith. Good afternoon, brethren. It's good to see you all. It may sound a little rusty here. It's because I'm recovering from the flu, so you may hear a little cough here and there, but please forgive me. I trust you all had a very good feast of tabernacles. We did. And usually at this time after the feast, I use it for a lot of reflection. You know, what transpired over the, the days of the feast and the days ahead. Customarily, when, att- when we attend the feast, you know, we would stay a couple days extra um, just to relax and unwind, if you want to use that term. And one of the features or one of the, exp- out of that experience, I have noticed, we have noticed, and surprisingly there, I got that feedback just a couple of days ago while we were at the hotel. There seems to be that void that is left behind. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. It's as if the spirit has moved away and you are left alone at the hotel, and if, especially if there's a, the meeting place was there, you know, there's something missing. It's not the same as when you were there during that eight-day period. And I was, when we were at lunch with another couple uh, this week, they were saying the same thing, that in fact, in future probably they would, if they intend to stay a few more days, they would maybe check into another facility because the feeling there, you know, is as if something uh, something is missing. And I often use that to remind us of our temporary sojourn here on earth. You know, the feast pictures the kingdom of God. You know, for the time being, we're here just on a temporary basis, you know. So we have no back from the feast. Where do we go from here? What's, what's next? Surely, there's another feast coming up in less than a year. So we know we look forward to that. What struck me at the feast, I spoke to a very elderly um, member of the church. I usually seek out the older members to speak with, you know, because they're, they're full of wisdom and there's a lot you can learn from them. And, you know, we were just talking in the heat of the Jamaican 32 degree temperature. And um, he looked at me and he said, you know, at my age, what else do I really have to look forward to now more than the Feast of Tabernacles? I'm getting old, I'm getting there, but in this life, the Feast is all I have to really look forward to, to get away from what's going on out there, to come here with God's people and to fellowship and to be inspired and, and so on. And I was really, really touched by that. Many days at the hotel, which was a a very beautiful hotel. Those of you who have been to Jamaica, you're almost surrounded by the deep blue turquoise waters of the Caribbean. You walk by the shore, you see see, um, life there in the water, fish moving around. You see the contrast from the deep blue to the thick foliage of the greenery of the surroundings, and you're touched of how beautiful God's creation is. But then, all of this is going to go one day. It's going to be a day when things change. You know, the whole earth changes, and that is exactly what the, the feast, you know, pictures a time of change. 
So I often use this period to really reflect on life of the 25,564 days that we have, that the average human being lives. Just as a reminder that it's not going to be like this all the time. So as the feast goes by, or the feast days go by, and you know, they picture God's plan, and we... We go and we attend and we come back and we prepare for another and we repeat that cycle annually. But there's going to come a time when the feast that we will celebrate, we won't be returning to our homes as we now do. It's a kind of inspiration just to watch people on the last great day as they gather and they bid goodbyes and you see the tears you see the hugs you capture them on camera and subsequently the days after you look back at them and you get the feeling of what it was like then and also those remind you of our temporariness but more so the reality that you know what there is no guarantee that I will be at the next Feast of Tabernacles. No guarantee. No guarantee that I will even reach home from the feast. Over the years, I've, and some of you will know and have experienced the fact that some members do pass on shortly after the feast. I won't call names what you've seen that happen. Some may have gotten sick or their situation deteriorates or they face some financial hurdles. And just in, even in fact, since getting back from the feast, I got a call about someone in some deep troubles, you know. And so we have all of these um, after effects. But the point I'm trying to make is that, brethren, because we are so temporary, life is just, as the book of James says, vapor. And we don't know our next, the next, we are not guaranteed the next second of our existence. Then it's all well and good. We went to the feast as God commanded. And we look forward to the next one, regardless of the fact that we are not even sure we are going to be there. But we make the best of it, whatever it was. Walk away, we, we, we hope all of us who have been, those listening on this, in the, on this, on this, um, streaming as well, that we walk away with something, that we come back here hoping to put into effect at least one small commitment you made at the feast, that during the ensuing months ahead, when all those months have gone by and the next feast is here, you know, we could have said, you know what, I did accomplish this, and it is something of value that will assist me in my walk with God and also for the edification of the body and building my relationship with the Most High God. Because, you know, one day I was driving through the, the gates at the hotel and it's a busy place, very busy, vehicles coming and going. You go outside... You know, cars flashing by. One day we were taking that journey into Ocho Rios, which is a small resort town about 25 kilometers away. And we got in a traffic jam. Never imagined for the life of me that I would see a traffic jam on that piece of road that I've traveled for many years, lonely at times. But here was a traffic jam. And I'm wondering now, hmm, an accident? Uh, police checkpoint so I anticipated what may have been the cause and we so were stuck in traffic for nearly half an hour in fact we have to turn back because we had another event to go to but to my surprise the traffic jam was just to attend a little hot spot if you want to use that name um, it's a restaurant and there was a big apparently some big show going on there you know and people were just 
hurrying to get to that show. It was a fish, a seafood restaurant, and they have all kind of activities. And I said, wow, this is what the traffic jam is about. So people were so absorbed into their own little world, spending all the energy and all the time to attend this event. And here I am, and here we were, God's people, attending an event that hardly anyone knew about. And I considered that really a privilege that God has, you know, given us these days. And we have been making use of them. And we should. Because looking ahead, there are dark clouds on the horizon. It's going to become challenging for us. More challenges ahead. We need the Feast of Tabernacles to re-energize, to recommit, and to re-examine our role here in the body of Christ. To re-examine what we could be doing more and being a witness for the word of God. So the feast is a very important gathering. Very important because we want to be able to say at the end of the journey or towards our end of our journeys when we know that, you know, life is coming to an end. If we live that long, we should have been able to say, you know, it, I've done the race. I've accomplished some things that I wanted to do. And I believe the Feast of Tabernacles provide that forum and the time together, eight days together with other like-minded people to say, yes, I did accomplish some things. Because brethren, life can offer many things. It can offer pleasure, forbid the forbidden and the unforbidden. Joy, sorrow, pain, wealth. Poverty, hunger, sicknesses, and so on. But not everyone reaps the same offers. But one thing we are going to all reap is death. And we don't know when. The silence of the Cemeteries and burial grounds speak volume. Just talking to, to a member here about the loss of his nephew, so young, just cut off like that. But then there is hope, even if you and I are numbered among those who go early, or those who go now, or those who go before the next feast. We have so much hope, so much hope, and we should live the Feast of Tabernacles every day of our lives. We should live that and what it portrays. We know a big holiday is about to come next week, and you see all the energies being expended on a devilish Celebrations such as Halloween. And we see the following, a couple months after, we see another big pagan festival that has nothing to do with Christ. And so much energy and time are spent in preparation for them. We have 11 months for the next feast and Passover, of course, coming up. But being the highlight of the year where we have to really prepare for it, I will challenge you from this day, if you haven't already, to start preparing some things, spiritual goals perhaps, what I want to achieve at the end of the next feast, especially if I didn't achieve them during the past Feast of Tabernacles. We don't know some faces I had expected to see at the feast. I did not see them. I don't know if they had 
abandon the faith. I know of one particular person, yes, abandon the faith. There are others who might have moved on. There are others perhaps who have died as well. But who can tell? Over the next 11 months, it could be me or you or someone else you know who reject God. We can be strong, but then there's an experience that changes life altogether. And no matter how strong we are, you know, sometimes we don't realize how weak we could be, could be broken by just one experience. I've seen it happen in the church, in the body. So brethren, you know, there's a, a writer who says, he wrote this poem, it's called Yesterday, Today and Tomorrow. He says, there are two days in every week about which we should not worry. Two days which you should keep free from fear and apprehension. One of these days is yesterday. With its, with its mistakes and its cares, its faults and blunders, its aches and pains, yesterday has passed forever beyond our control. All the money in the world cannot bring back yesterday. We cannot undo a single act we performed. We cannot erase a single word we said. Yesterday is gone. The other day we should not worry about is tomorrow. When it's possible, adversities, or sorry, with its possible adversities, its burdens, its large promise and poor performance. Tomorrow is also beyond our immediate control. Tomorrow's sun will rise, either in splendor or behind a mask of clouds, but it will rise. Until it does, we have no stake in tomorrow, for yet, for it is yet unborn. This just leaves only one day, and that is today. Any person can fight the battles of just one day. It is only when you and I add the burdens of those two awfully, two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, that we break down. It is not the experience of today that drives people mad. It is the remorse or bitterness for something which happened yesterday and the dread of what tomorrow may bring. Let us therefore live but one day at a time. The author is unknown. There's so much wisdom in that. We are not promised tomorrow, so we live one day at a time. There's a popular song, I believe it's has been sung by so many artist one day at a time sweet jesus i believe there's a lot of meaning to that so brethren we live as pilgrims as ambassadors as sojourners just passing through this world we make use of our time the word of god says redeem the time we should really redeem the time John tells us too that the whole world lies in wickedness. That will continue. So we as the temporary dwellers who are now passing through, we know from our lives and from our relationship with God that this world is not it. James 4.13 says, um, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor 
that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. Brethren, we live at the mercy of God. Each day we rise from our slumber, we say thanks for another day. Many don't because they believe they are obligated to life for as long as they want. But God's people, you the saints of God, we know we're here at his mercy and at his grace. We're not promised tomorrow. As the feast days go by and we live out God's plan here and we prepare whether to observe his death or to, to observe being a first fruit, put away sin out of our lives, await the sound of the trumpet and look forward to the day when we'll be at one with him and the devil will be bounded. And then ultimately, utopia. When his kingdom reigns, there's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. And he says, behold, I make all things new. That is our hope. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. So we don't know what tomorrow will bring or next week or next month or by the end of the year or by the end of the next year before the feast at least. So there's uncertainty there in the physical. But as far as our spirituality is concerned, we have an appointment with God. A promise that if we should go down six feet under or whatever is done to your remains after death, doesn't matter whether you're buried at sea or you're cremated or you're in the earth. Our assurance is that when we face our demise and God's Holy Spirit dwelt in us and we went down wherever with that presence of God, then when we rise, it will be to a new world. And we look forward to so many of our friends and relatives and dear ones who will come back to life. And you know, brethren, we live each day and we see death coming closer. I remember the last time I was here, Sheila was here, Sheila Cooper. Sitting somewhere down there. She's not here with us. So you see death coming closer and closer. Relatives that you were with just maybe days, weeks ago. It's not here. And as, the, you know, the carnal mind, as we read in Romans 8, <coughs> is against God. It's enmity. So it doesn't think that way and it doesn't reflect on those realities. It doesn't reflect on our, on their mortality because, you know, we live as if we're immortals. The typical human being doesn't think really about death because he, he thinks he's gonna live forever. That's how I felt before I was in the church. I didn't think about death. I had a fear of it, yes, but I thought probably I wouldn't die. I live as if I wouldn't die. But when you're, when that, when that mind, when God calls and that mind is, is changed and you're walking in newness as an, as a new creature, when you realize you're not walking around with the death penalty on your head because you're a commandment breaker or a law breaker and the relief it gives and the peace of mind it gives that you're not condemned as the carnal mind is, brethren, it's a big relief. It's a big relief. It's an assurance that even if I don't see tomorrow, even if I don't see another Feast of Tabernacles, you know what? 
in the split, in a split second, when I come back to life, I will have a new body. And there will be a new constitution in this universe. So the carnal mind out there is just moving about its business. But we can come to the Feast of Dabernacles and we can go through the experience and we can come back here today and we can reflect and say, yes, you know what? Of all the things in the world out there, I did appear God, appear before God as he commanded. And by his mercy, even if I did not accomplish some of the goals I wanted to do, I know there there could be more opportunities and and God knows my heart and what I my intentions are and he will have mercy even in my failures. So we have a lot going for us. So much I should say. So if yes, some of us are young, young people are here and you have your goals in life. I was touched by the the baptism that we did in Jamaica because I think at least three people who baptized were young people. And it's, I tell you, it touches me when someone, a young person, comes and answers their call to God because they're there tomorrow, although we are not guaranteed tomorrow. <laughs> Even you yourself are not guaranteed tomorrow, although you're young, but at least you made that step in answering God's call. It's, it's a big, it's, it's a big joy for me. And I'm sure for you as well when you see that happens. Because the carnal world is so hostile to everything that we stand for. And young people, quite vulnerable, can be socialized by their environments and their companies and so on. So it's always a pleasure to see their move. And in your days, Ecclesiastics tells us, remember your creator when you're young. Not many do. I'm so saddened over the past months. And my wife pointed it out to me the other day, which, you know, sometimes I tend to be more cognizant of that. But I, you know, get caught up in so many things I wasn't really listening because... The news is something I just, it doesn't miss me. But there have been so many young deaths in the GTA over the past. It's like on a daily basis, you hear. Tragic too. And violent death. And the question is, you know, what's happening to our young people? So it's not nice out there. So once all of us, both young seniors... Middle-agers, elderly, once we have this time with us here now that God has given us another day, God has given us another opportunity to attend His holy, His appointed times, we do it and utilize whatever opportunities we have available to cultivate that better relationship with God, with our fellow Saints, Ecclesiastic 9 tells us whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you go. And chapter 11, 6 says, Sow your seed. In the morning and at evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally. Over the coming months, I don't believe, and I don't think you, sh- you believe either, that our world or society Respective societies will get any better. We have opportunities. We have a work to do. To tell Babylon, which we have come back into after the feast, that for those whom God is calling, prepare to meet him. He's coming. His son 
is coming back. Whether you like it or not, he is returning. Ephesians 5.15 reminds us, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making most of your time because the days are evil. The love of men, brethren, is waxing colder and colder. We see horrific crimes. We see a society that cannot distinguish between right and wrong anymore. We see a society that continues to promote truth as being relative and that everyone can determine what they believe is right in their own sight. Not knowing one day they will have to answer because every knee shall bow before God and they will confess the very name in which they, the very name they are despising now. Jesus Christ or Jesus Christos or Yeshua Hamashiach. That very name is the only name under the whole heaven by which we can be saved. We live in a world that is paralyzed by problems that are caused by humanity's rejection of God, disobedience and failed failure to do what God says. So can we truly say that the coming months before the next feast of tabernacles is gonna get better are gonna get you know things are gonna get better? No. <laughs> Even secular people are saying and wondering where are we going? What's what's gonna be the end of this all? Wow. So we're back from the feast. Another feast has gone by. What is next for us as Christians, as saints of the Most High God? What is there for us to do? I think we have to ask several questions, some of them being, how is my relationship with God and my fellow men? What should I be doing that I'm not now doing? The word of God throughout the New Testament speaks of a uni- the desire for a unified body, faithful and awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. That is something we can look at. Am I as obedient as I should be to God's word and not man's word? I know of instances that some of us were not able to go to the Feast of Tabernacles because they couldn't get the time off. Yeah. We have to get our priorities right. Are we serving God or mammon? Sometimes we have to stand up. Sometimes we have to make sacrifices. There are people who have walked off their jobs to attend the Feast of Tabernacles. I've known them. I've, I've spoken with them. I know of their situations over the past years. I've known of people who have returned from the Feast of Tabernacles only to find their suitcases at the door because their parents said, well, you went to the feast. You went to this whatever Jewish con- um, um, conference. And you left your job, well, sorry, you can't come back into this house. I've known of that. Of spouses who have rejected the other spouse and shown them bad face because they went to the Feast of Tabernacles. We walk our journey, we are on a journey where we have to make sacrifices. We have to be bold and stand up and say, this is what I'm in. I've made a commitment to Yahweh that I will follow him. I will be an endurer. I will be an overcomer to the end. And I'm sure you have heard of that experience. My very wife walked off a job a few years ago because she they wouldn't give her the time off. So it has hit close home. But then some of us are kind of timid and we are we have one foot in the world and one foot in the, in, in the church. And we can't decide who, who we want to serve. 
Some of us have been in jobs so many years only to go back one day and we get a slip said you're no longer required. Your services are no longer required. So there's no guarantee in the jobs either. So I think we have to get things right. We have to realize that God is number one, not number two. That he comes before spouse, he comes before children, he comes before anything else. And once we have those priorities right, then we are on the right path. Because I've known of experiences as well. Where, where the sacrifices have been made, and then when they return from the Feast of Tabernacles, believe it or not, abundant blessings. I've seen that happen too. So we have to get things right. How is my relationship with God? Am I as obedient as I should be? Is there any value in being obedient to God? Surely, physically, there is value. Because if I'm going to have a diet of lobsters and and pork and ham and bacon, my heart is going to clog and I'm going to die from heart disease. You know, at the feast, I I noticed every morning there was a big bowl of bacon, you know, fried crisps, crispy. And I just sat there watching people just diving into it. And I just smiled. It wasn't tempting, by the way. But just watching people just dive into the, you know. And I say, wow, that's not good. I wanted to say, that's not good for you. You know, and we, one night we went to a restaurant where, you know, they prepare the meal right before your eyes. This Japanese style restaurant and 12 of us were there, I believe. And we, the, the chef, we said to the chef, listen, we don't do mushroom sauce. Not mushroom, oyster sauce. We don't do any shrimp because a lot of that was on the menu. And she said, yeah. He said, no, we don't, please. Nothing like that. And she respected what we stood for, you know. So there is value. Is there any value in being obedient? Of course. Of course. Who should I please first? My employer? You know, because I need a job, and I understand that. How, how, and some would argue, how I'm going to pay my bills if I don't have a job? I'm not saying it's not a challenge. It is a challenge. If you are the only breadwinner, you are the only one bringing in the funds, you have mortgage and rent to pay, and you're going to sacrifice that to attend some Jewish feast. People will say that. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm saying to you, I know what I would do if I'm in that situation. So if you're in that situation, then examine your relationship with God. And you would have to make that decision. I know what I would do. I won't go into the history of some of the things I had to do. But brethren, the time is coming when we have to put on that armor if we have not been wearing it to stand up for truth and to stand up for God. Some people may just very well say, and even at this moment to listening, well, you know, you can say anything you're, you're, um, you're taking care of. And that is not true. Many of us have done sacrifices. And I believe we've been directly or indirectly rewarded. And we've become stronger. We have grown out of our experiences. And that helps us in our walk with God. We live in a society that uses God as a, you know, you have a, a piece of cloth in your in your home. Let's call it the convenience cloth. A little water spill on the floor. You just go and use it, and you wipe up the floor, and you stuck it in a purse in a in a little area, wash it out, and you keep it ready. Any little emergency in your house, society uses God like that. Only when they need Him, 
I'm going to call on his name. Everything is fine and dandy. I don't need him, but you know, things are hard now. Oh God, where are you? Can't you hear my voice? God's people must not be caught in that quagmire there, that, that, that convenience mode where we are only using him when we need him. We need God all the time in the days of the, of the bounty, in the days of the thin, in the days when we, everything is going fine and every, you know, everything is great, good health, good job, good family life. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a very good upward citizen of the country and the church. I'm contributing to the church and everything is fine. But when something happens, no, we, Say, I, I can't go to church. I, I feel so bad. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't have that guilt feeling because God remembers our sins no more. We're new creatures in Christ. So we have to cultivate a relationship where we are constantly prayer warriors with God. We have that open line in prayer and in meditation, in fasting. We are constantly in God, whether good whether in the good times or the bad times. That is how we as Christians should be. Coming back from the feast and you face your challenge, you should not be feeling down and out. We should not be questioning God why he is not hearing my prayer because you would have had or be in that constant communication with him all your life, day in, day out, at night, at lunchtime, in the early morning, whatsoever. That is our expectation as a child of God, in constant contact. CC, if you want to use an acronym for that, constant contact in the days of good, in the days of the bad. The Feast of Tabernacles and its temporariness remind us of a time when we will be with him all the time, constantly, constantly. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So we have to be and establish with God in our, in our development or in developing our relationship that He is our advocate. He is our friend. He is our savior. He is everything. He's even the doctor when we are sick. He is our counselor. He is our guide. It is true obedience that we are going to develop that relationship based on faith in whatsoever he promises and that he says he will do. We can't be like those who pray today and expect an answer by this afternoon or by tonight, or by tomorrow. We cannot dictate to God like society does. We know and should know that God answers our prayers at all times, but in his time, not necessarily our time. In Romans, it tells us that it's through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace so that we can be called his children. And we learn that through obedience to his word. So that obedience comes when we learn or that faith comes when we learn to be obedient and we can know in our walk with him through our experiences what he actually stands for. There's a story in First Samuel 30 with David that I think, I believe rather that, you know, we have a lot 
to learn from that to first Samuel chapter thirty verse one. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein they slew not any either great or small but carried them away and went on their way so all the women they took them away you can imagine a city and they raided the city and took away all the women folk you can imagine the atmosphere of gloom and sadness and helplessness that this could have happened. And what did David do? So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. People who were dear to them, the wives, the sons, the daughters, in all their innocence. Gone. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Who wouldn't? You can feel it. You come back maybe on from some journey or you're even there and you see all of this happen. People who are dear to you, gone. They lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Very, very touching. You've been to some funerals and you've seen some people cry out their, their soul until they were weak. No more tears were left. This is what, how they felt. And not only that, David's two wives were taken captives. And Naom and Jezreel Jezreelites and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. So here's another angle to it. And they thought of stoning David because the soul of all the peoples, of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. So they didn't know, they're just looking for someone to blame that, you know, he was responsible. Angry, you know, when you're, when you're distressed and you're angry, you just, you know, sometimes you act out of the norm and you cast blames because you don't know where to turn to. There was that feeling of helplessness. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's what David did. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In verse 8. And David inquired at the Lord saying. Shall I go after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. God answered him. He said pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail. Recover all. God is telling us, a faithful people, that when we face the trials, and you call on him, he will answer. Not at all times it may be to our desire, but he knows best. But so what did David do? David went he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Besor where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and the 400 men for 200 abode behind which were so faint they could not go over the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and he gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs, two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him for he had not eaten, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. 
And David said unto him, To whom thou belongest thou, and when thou art, and whence art thou? And he said, I am the young man of the Egypt, servant of the Amalekites, and my master left me because three days alone I left. I fell sick. So the story goes on and on and on. But brethren, we are told in verse 17, And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. So he followed God's prescription. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And verse 18 says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. There was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. I'm saying to you, we can recover everything that we think we have lost. If it is God's will, we can. But verse 8 tells us, David inquired of the Lord. He looked to God for his solution, for his pain, for the sorrow of losing his wives, for the sorrow of his countrymen who lost daughters and, and sons. Brethren, when we have that level of relationship with God, and we are in times of trouble, without wavering or doubting, we can be confident of victory one way or the other in God's time. In God's time. Come back from the feast. Brethren, I'm urging you. Continue to build on what you have started with God. Continue building. His word is precious. In John fourteen fifteen, he says... If you love me, you will obey what I command. This is not just a, saying something flippantly. Oh, I love God. Professing with our lips that we love God. And when it comes to the, to, to full, uh, to proving that it is something else. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. David, a man of the God's own heart. He asked God for deliverance in that, out of that ordeal. And God answered. Brethren, this life that we have, this temporariness, this tabernacle, has no value without God. Without the hope in God. Without the blessing of God. Without the promises of God. Without the grace of God. Today will soon be gone. In another few hours. October 26, 2019. Will be no more. Just like how the Feast of Tabernacles 2019 has gone. The age of this civilization will soon be no more and never will return. The very second I just said that is never coming back. That is our reality. Planet Earth and all the constellation and the solar system all the vastness of that universe with millions and billions of stars and galaxies are going to change. They will not appear as they are now because things will change. The relationship you're building with Christ that you had before the feast must continue even with greater expectations after the feast. God looks at us with his mercy because he knows we have surrendered our life to him. And what better investment? Psalm 139, 7 
David has some poetic words. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in, in the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike, like you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous at your works, and my, and that my soul knows very well. Brethren, as the feasts go by, draw nearer to God. He will draw near to you. St. James 4 8 tells us that. David says again in Psalm 73 28. It is good for me to draw near to God. Remember, we did not come here of our own volition. God is the one who draws us. He says in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's what we look forward to, be raised up. In triumph and glory on that last day to enter a new age where his kingdom will reign forever. And we got a taste of that kingdom at the Feast of Tabernacles. So as another feast went by and the other days are coming up, brethren, let's live it out. Let's live out the plan of God and realize that you are part of it. As long as you're overcoming. It's not one save, always save. As long as you're overcoming. Fight the good fight till death. And we are going to receive that crown of glory. May God be with you. Alright, so we all rise as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, the one who created the cosmos, the universe, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Your people recognizes that, Father. They have just, in obedience to your command, they have returned from the Feast of Tabernacles, where they got a, a taste of what is to come. But in the ensuing days ahead, Father, we know the challenges. We know the potholes on that straight and narrow path that all of us have experienced at some point in our lives. And we are saying to you, Father, we need you all the time. Not just in the times of good, but in the times of good and bad, Father, we seek your face. We know you have the answer. We know that you have made that promise that you will be with us right to the end of this age. And we are holding you to that promise because we know your promise is true. So as we trod on this journey, Father, we just ask that you continue to be our guide. And even if we fall, help us to get up and move on. This world has nothing to offer us, Father. We are just... Pilgrims, we are just passing through. Yes, we live in it, but we are not of it, Father. And we know that one day your or joy will be filled when your son, the Christ, comes bursting through those clouds to give us a new body and to establish his everlasting kingdom 
that will take over all the corrupt kingdoms of this world and that all the pain and the sorrow that we now experience will be a thing of the past. As you said in your word in Revelation 20, Behold, I make all things new. We have pledged to be a part of that newness. And Father, help us now as we continue that trek. We put our lives in your hands. We surrender to you and ask you to take charge of all of us. And we ask this in no other name but that of the appointed, of the anointed one, the Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.